Well, good morning. It's my joy to be here and to um, kind of begin this morning the season of Advent. And I guess most of us have already done it. We finish the Thanksgiving Day and Friday and Saturday. Some of us clean the house and start to look at our Christmas decorations. And we start to say, what are we going to uh, use this Christmas? And we start to put out the lights and... um, we pick up maybe some of the best decorations. Maybe we go out and cut a tree or buy a tree or use a tree that is just plastic. And we start to make the house look really nice. And some of us are done in that weekend. Some of us, like me and our family, we are still thinking, you know, we are half there, but not yet. You know, so we continue the thing. And we all want to get somehow, and sooner or later, all of us, we are going to get into this Christmas, the spirit of Christmas, the spirit of joy, the spirit of anticipation. And we start today the four Sundays of Advent, the four Sundays. And this is a season of anticipation when we kind of get in touch with our desires and our wants. And um, a lot of us have responded. I put something on Facebook and I said, if you were to ask God for one gift, one thing this Christmas, what would you like to have him, what would you want him to give to you this Christmas? And a lot of you have responded, but most of you said, I would like to have joy. I would like to have the joy of seeing my family come together, my children come to faith, closer to Jesus. Some of you said, I would like my family in the Netherlands to find Jesus, to go back to church Some of you said, you know, I want my grandkids to come to faith. In fact, a friend of mine who is a pastor said, I want the salvation. There's nothing else I want but the salvation of my children. He adopted two two children. And he said, I want the salvation of my children. And who doesn't want that joy, right? And others, we said, we want peace. Others said, we want peace. We want peace among us. People said, we want peace, peace among the countries, the nations of the world, in politics. Some of you said, you know, we just want peace in our family. When we get together, there's so much brokenness. We want to have peace as we celebrate Christmas. And others said, you know, if I can't hope for something, if I ask for something, I hope that this will be something that God will give me, the healing of my spouse, that God will bring a cure to all of these illnesses, That there will be no more cancer, no more difficult illnesses, no more immune diseases. That God will heal all of us. And you mentioned Drew, you mentioned Ben, you mentioned some of some of you mentioned people in your family. And we want the same thing for those in our congregation, for for Gary and for Corey, for Catherine. We want healing, and we said, when is God coming? Some of you even said, you know, every morning before Christmas, I will wake up and say, oh, I'm still here. When is God going to take me? I'm not sure, but I'm so anticipating. I will hope that He will take me tomorrow. You are ready to go and be with the Savior. And this is the season of anticipation. And the Advent basically tells us that we anticipate all of these things. And in the next four Sundays, we are going to start today... With want, December number three, right? Today, we start with want. But then we go through hope, wait, and then on Christmas Eve sort of day, that's a Sunday, we will do receive. How do we receive this gift that God gives us? 
And for this morning, I wanted us to just look at a book um, in chapter 12 from this special book called the Revelation of John. It's the last book in the Bible. So chapter 12 in uh, John is basically a book that is very different, is unique. It's not like any other book of the Bible. It kind of stands on its own. And if you want to think of what kind of a language is there, it's almost like the language, the imagery, the richness of what we have in the Lord of the Rings. And in the Lord of the Rings, we have things that are very interesting. You know, instead of using characters, they, they use sort of dragons and all kinds of beings and all kinds of powers. And instead of having a force, it's an eye and stuff like that. The same thing is in the Revelation. You have to be very careful because it's what we call the apocalyptic language. And this apocalyptic language is kind of a balancing between what we call taking things literally and taking things symbolically or figuratively. And we have to make sure that we know how to do that because in the beginning of the letter, the book of the Revelation, John, in fact, the first beatitude, blessing, is he says, blessed, blessed is the person who is going to read aloud the words of this book. And blessed are those who are going to hear. And blessed are those who are going to keep the things. So it's both hearing, reading aloud, and also keeping. So it's a book of teachings. God wants us to learn something from this. And one of the most maybe, to, maybe told and retold stories in this book of the Revelation is the story of salvation. And the story of salvation starts with the first coming of Jesus, with Christmas. And that's when we celebrate His incarnation. God comes to us. That's why we were just singing. God with us. And then it goes, this is the beginning of the story. And then it goes to the cross, where is the completion of our salvation. But then it continues the story with the consummation. The last, the second coming of Christ is the last piece of this salvation. When everything will be made new. When all of our wants for Christmas are going to be fulfilled. When there will be no more cancer, no more disease, when there will be no more war, no more conflict, no more violence between people, because the king will come and restore everything. And all of his enemies, enemies that bring disaster in our world, are going to be punished and chased away. You see, this book of Revelation has several themes, and John starts with this idea that he has a window, and, and there is this door, and he steps into this through this door into this new reality of heaven. And he has these visions. Visions are almost like dreams, but they are real. So dreams, just think of dreaming with open eyes. And they are things that he can hardly describe with human language. And they are, they are things like three themes in the book that, that come again and again, again and again. We don't read this book geographically. We don't read it historically. We do not read it chronologically. And yet there are some themes that are repeated in the book. And one of them is conflict or war. It comes again and again. There is a conflict that is described. Then there is victory. Christ gives us victory. And again and again is described. And finally, celebration. There is celebration of this victory. And you say, who is fighting in this book? Who is fighting? You might say yourself, no, what, what, are, what is the conflict? Between who? And of course, it's between good and evil. And sometimes good and evil, evil, darkness and light, is represented by Jerusalem and Babylon, the holy city and the sinful city, or the church 
and the world, the church and the world. Now, even the lamb and the dragon. Now, we start now in figures, you know, in images. These are being the lamb who was slain. Sometimes, sometimes he's on the throne. And the dragon. And today, we are going to look at the battle between a woman and an enormous, huge red dragon. There is this beautiful story in chapter 12. And I want you to just read with me. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pains as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his on its heads. Can you imagine that red dragon? Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard the loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of Messiah. For our accuser, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him, triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Isn't this a powerful image? The chapter has another few more verses. And it has basically three images, but it also has three main characters. There are also a few other characters, but I would like us to just pick up the main characters of this chapter. First, you see there's a woman. And you may say, who is this woman? Who is this woman who is pregnant and about to give birth to a baby? And she is in a battle, fierce battle. Who is this woman? And some people, especially the Catholic Church, they say that a woman is the mother of Jesus, Mary. And it can, it can be understood as Mary until you see that at the end of the chapter, she has way more offsprings, you see. And the Catholic Church kind of said, no, she doesn't have. Mary still is a virgin. So she only had Jesus. But it could be Mary. Some other people say it's Israel, the people of God, the Jewish people. But you see, they have the testimony of Christ. So it's not only the Jewish people by descent, because they testify Jesus. 
So then people said, it's not the Jewish people by descent, but it is the church, the church of God. And the church of God compresses all believers, beginning in the Garden of Eden and ending in the second coming of Christ, the New and the Old Testament. And we are part of the New Testament. We are part of this one holy, universal church of God. It started in eternity, maybe, with the idea of, of the church in God's hand, in God's mind. And then through, throughout the history, the, ch- the church grows and grows and grows and includes me and includes you. And this is the woman that is dressed up specially. Can you imagine a woman dressed up like the sun, in the sun? The sun being, being her clothing? Brightness. Brightness is always, and John has these this letters in which he says, Children, my, my sons and daughters, my brothers and sisters, my children in faith, just so you know, if you do not live in light, then you are not the sons and daughters of light, but you are sons and daughters of darkness. If somebody, John says, continues to live in darkness and in sin, it cannot be a son of the living, bright God. You must live in light, John says. And she is kind of standing upon the moon. And there are 12 stars in her crown. And she is about to give birth. 12 stars can be those 12 patriarchs, right? And it, it reminds us of the d- dream that Joseph, ha- Joseph had. Remember, Joseph was punished by his brother for this. But he dreamt this exactly the same dream. He said, my father the sun, my mother the moon, and my level brothers are going to worship me one day. And they are going to bow down. And they punished him for that. And now the church is that church that basically in, embodies this whole light of God. The plan of God to give this, this world a salvation. And it's interesting that the church is protected. In the first part, she's, she's taken away. In the second part of the chapter, she gets two wings. The wings like eagles. And she flies away. And she is safe. And the church goes away and is protected. And although the battle is raging on, suddenly the dragon finds no more, to, no more church, no more women to battle. So the, the woman is protected by God. And there is something interesting in this chapter. He uses this number. And I just want you to be patient with me. It says 1,260 days. Now, in the first part it says 1,260 days. Just, just bear uh, some, some math here, okay? If you divide this uh, 1,260 days by 30 days, which is about the average of a month, you get 42 months. 42 months is three and a half years. Three and a half years. And if you think of the Old Testament as the first part of the church, the life of the church, the church was protected until the coming of Christ at Christmas for three and a half years. And since the coming of Christ, the New Testament church, which we are part of, is another three and a half years. It's a poetic language, but if you add this to, it gets you the seven, the number of completion, fullness. The entire, the complete church history is there. And God protects the church there. And twice in our text is mentioned these numbers. Just think about the protection of God throughout human history, and it's representing in these poetic numbers. Now, the church is protected, and yet there is a battle. There is a battle. Inside the battle, we have these desires, right? God, would you come and stop our suffering? 
And yet there is this battle. The second, the second thing that is, or the second character is the baby. The church is there, but there is a baby boy about to be born. And you say, who is this baby? Well, it's very clear in the text who it is. And it's also a good reminder of us. Remember, in the beginning, in the beginning, in Genesis 3.15, God said these words, and I will put enmity between you, which is the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he, which is the offspring, will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. It is that kind of beginning of the good news. The proto-evangelium, the, the beginning of the good news that is being told to us in this verse. There is going to be somebody born of a woman who will destroy the plans of the enemy. And then later on in Isaiah, we have this prophecy. And the prophecy says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. That's what we were singing this morning, God with us, God with us. And that is what's happening in this story. The woman is about to give birth, and the dragon is right there trying to devour her child. From the beginning of human history, God promised that it will come through a child and through a male. And the dragon was after this child throughout these years. Remember just Moses, when he was born, what was the Pharaoh attempting to do? What was he attempting to do? To make sure that there are no more males in Israel. To make sure that he wipes out the people of Israel by wiping out the male boys. Killing them right at birth. When Jesus is born, what is Hero trying to do? To wipe out the entire kids. Statistically, the people say, statistically, the infant or infant mortality rate is way higher among men or boys than girls. And if you go to any retirement home... The majority of people there, do you know who they are? Widows. Widows. That's so clear. I mean, there's, there's no contest even. You just look around. I don't know what. We, we, maybe we are weaker. But definitely the devil is after us. Is after us because he doesn't want us to be faithful to God. He doesn't want us to be part of God's plan. He wants us to be further and further away pushed from God. You see, the baby is baby Jesus. And his comings, we are going to celebrate at Christmas, the first coming. But now we live after the first coming and we look in the future. And some of you said the same thing, said, what do you want for Christmas? I would like Jesus to come. That's what you said on Facebook. And that was, I just want him, would you please come? Because he will put an end to all of these things. Now, who is the dragon? So we have the church or the woman, we have the baby. And then we have the dragon. Who is the dragon? And it's very clear again in the text. Later on it's spelled out. He says, this is the ancient serpent, which basically points us to Genesis chapter 3. Back to the garden. And it's called the devil or Satan. The devil or Satan who was there. And he is the deceiver. He is the deceiver. He is the accuser. He is the tattletale. He is deceiving all of the nation. Have you seen nations deceived? Even today, just think of nations who are completely deceived. Nations that if you say that you are a Christian in that nation, you will be wiped out. Some, some of my friends just told me, just think of Islamic nations. Think of nations that are very extremist in their views. Some of my Korean friends just told me, at Thanksgiving they said, there is one country north of us, which is North Korea. If you say that you are a Christian, then you don't know what's going to happen to you. Just claiming that I believe in Jesus can be something like a death 
sentence for you. Just saying, I am a Christian. Not going to church, but just saying, I am a Christian. I believe in Jesus. So the devil is leading the nations, is deceiving them, leading them astray. But also he is the accuser. He is the tattletale. He lost his place in heaven, by the way, as we will see later on. He is losing three times in this, in this chapter. But the first time he is losing against the baby. The second time he is losing his place in heaven. But what is he doing? He goes back to heaven sometime, like in the book of Job, and to start to just say, have you seen Johnny? Uh, Father, uh, Lord, have you seen Johnny? He goes to church. But look what he's doing on Tuesday. On Tuesday, he's going and he comes home drunk with his friends and beats his wife, abuses his children. Is that your child? Is that, is that, that Johnny? Is that what you call your child? Have you seen Mary? Yeah, she's on church on Sunday. But have you seen where she goes on Sunday night? Have you seen that she leaves her family? Have you seen Steve? He's just 11th grade, a junior. Have you seen what he is doing? And he's the accuser. He brings all of our sins before God and says, Are these your people? Is this your church? Did you die for these people? What is going on? And if you are doing good, if you are faithful, you know what he's saying? He's saying, well, they are faithful because you blessed them. Look at how many presents they have. Look at the houses they have. Look at the cars they have. That's why they come to church, because you bless them. Just take away those blessings, and you see that they will curse you. They will abandon their faith. Just do not heal them, and you will see that they abandon their faith. He is the accuser. He accuses us before God, and he wants us to be separated forever from our Savior, Jesus Christ. He hates that Emmanuel is with us. He hates that we trust this God. And his plan is to separate us from him. And this accuser has three battles, like I said. First, he battles with the woman. And he loses because the woman has the child and she is protecting, protected like we saw before. And the child is protected. He cannot devour the child. Humanly speaking, the child will die on the cross. But it will die for our sins. It will be an innocent death so that we can be saved, so that we can walk, so that we can, can be free from our sins and misery from our past. So, but the first battle is with, with the woman, and he loses the battle. The second battle is with Michael, and it's Michael and his angels. Michael, who also went to help Gabriel in the book of Daniel. Michael looks like he's a warrior, and he has a lot of angels that battle with him. And he battled with the dragon and his angels. You know, the dragon has about a third, maybe 33% of the angels are with him. And they are mean and they are scary and they are unrepentant. These are angels that are angels of darkness serving Satan. And when they battle Michael, they are not as strong because you see, Satan, the enemy, is a created being. He is not as strong as God. This is not a battle between equals. And what do they lose here? With a woman, they lose the child. They cannot affect the child. The dragon cannot touch the child. And this time, they lose their place in heaven. And if you see in this imagination, it's hard to imagine, but they are hurled down on the earth. And that's the earth. So they lose their place in heaven, the second battle. And they are coming to the earth. And what is 
what is the fate of the earth? It's just misery. You look around today, read the news. People say, I cannot open my TV. I cannot watch TV because it's so horrible what's happening. And then there's a third battle with the church at the end. These are the other offsprings of the woman. And that is us. You see, the battle continues. It's not just with the woman when, at Jesus' birth. It's not just in heaven with Michael. But it is with you and with me. And it continues. And it's not only persecution, but that's included there because it's very important. It's persecution, but it's also trouble. And Jesus said, in the world, you will face trouble. You will see famine. You will see disease. You will see disasters. You will see breakup. You will see divorce. You will see abuse, crime, violence, and everything else. And what's interesting is there is a hymn of celebration right in the middle of this chapter. It's a hymn of celebration. It's like a poem, like singing something to praise, to say, lift up your hearts. Almost like saying, rejoice, rejoice, heavens, and all who dwell in them. Rejoice. Why should we rejoice? Rejoice because the victory belongs to the Lord. Because we are not destined to lose this battle. Because the enemy was defeated. Because Christ is the conqueror. Rejoice, rejoice, heavens. And that's what we sing. Remember that we have a catalog that says, rejoice, rejoice. We have reasons to rejoice. And yet, at the same time, we have to be reminded what the two last verses of the chapter says. They said like this, the dragon was enraged at the woman. Why was he enraged? Because the woman got these eagle wings and she flew away in safety. No matter how much the dragon fought and, and tried to destroy the church, he cannot do it. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. That's you and me. That is you and me, and there's nothing that we can do but do this thing. Those are the offspring. Those who keep God's commands and help and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. What can you do? What can you do? Just this, do these two things. Hold fast. How do we win against the devil? How do we win? What is our winning strategy? There is only one strategy. The first is obedience. Keep, keep, keep God's commandments. Remember what John said at the beginning. Those who read aloud the words of this book, those who hear them, and those who keep the words of this book are going to be blessed. Obedience. And second is testimony. Make sure that, that we do not forget that we can talk to people about Jesus. At this Christmas, this is the anticipation in this Advent, is that Christ will come. And one day He will restore all things. And the world and the things right now, they are not as they are supposed to be. They are broken by sin and we have an enemy. But there is a solution to all of these things. And one more thing. It says they did not love. In verse 11 it says they did not love. They did not love their lives as to want to be spared from death. They were willing to sacrifice their lives on this earth 
for their obedience to Christ and for their testimony. And sometimes that's tough. But there is no other secret for victory than to say that there is no other thing that we want to do but to be faithful to God, to proclaim that Christ is the one who saves and we have hope in him, and to disregard any consequences for our testimony, no matter what happens. So what should we remember from this morning? Just remember what John tells us. The devil is real and powerful. He is not just a figment of our imagination. The devil today is real and he is powerful. And he is in a conflict with us, with our families, with our own souls, with our lives, with our state, with our nation. The devil is after us and is powerful. But second, remember that Christ is victorious. We have to remember that in the midst of this battle, the devil was defeated. And Christ is the victor. He is the victorious one. And yet the devil is not completely destroyed. His power is diminished. His resources are diminished. And yet his reach is still long enough to reach us, to reach our houses, our hearts, our homes, to lead us. To trap us, to lead us into temptation. That's why we pray, even in the prayer, do not lead us, Lord. Deliver us from evil and do not lead us into temptation. We want the deliverance of God. But maybe you also have to remember that the church is persecuted, that we still have problems, that we still face death, that we still face illness, that we still face destruction and violence and abuse among us. Those are things that are still part of the Christian life. But in the midst of all of these things, what do we want for Christmas, maybe? Is to remember that Christ, God, is with us. Christ is Emmanuel. And that's what the prophecy was. And the virgin shall have a child, and he, and he will be named Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we, when we go through trouble, when we are in the hospital, when we got the IV treatment, the chemo, whatever we do, we know that God is with us. In the funeral home, God is with us. At home, when everything crumbles, God is with us. At work, when you feel that there is no more hope, that you are going to lose maybe your job, your house, your car, God is with us. Emmanuel. That is what we want for Christmas. To be reminded again and again that one day all things will be made new, but that we do not walk alone. We have a fierce enemy, and yet God, the victor, Christ, the one who won the victory for us, is with us. And if you are here, maybe, and you say, how do I enter in this victory? It is, it is an invitation from God to you to open your heart and to say to Christ, Lord Jesus, I want to walk in your victory. Please come into my life. Please come into my life and bring your word of life. Bring me the hope, the anticipation this desire that one day I will be with you forever, and until then I will walk with you every day in obedience, talking, testifying about you, and making sure that I'm not afraid to pay a price for my faith. Because regardless of what, you are the victor, and you give us that victory. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for Christ Jesus and for his power, for his calling to look in history and to learn to be reminded today that we are not walking alone, 
And that although we sometimes feel that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that we can fear no evil because in Christ Jesus we have hope. So grant us that anticipation of Christmas, of the celebration of the coming of Christ who will take away all of our worries. And uh, we do pray for those that are in need and in want of healing. Healing from illness, healing from discord, and healing from the lack of joy. May we be anticipating this Christmas full of the Holy Spirit, full of the promise of hope, of joy and peace. In Christ's name, amen.